Uh, good morning, City Light. It is good to be with you guys here this morning. I think the pastors are also trying to send uh, some sort of a signal or something because every time I have the opportunity to preach, Steve is up here also as well leading, and so they're doing something with the Latino brothers or something. I don't know. Andrew's in the room too. He, he's like three-eighths Latino or something like that, bro. So you're, you're part of the family, bro. Um, No, but seriously, guys, it is a joy and a pleasure to be with you here this morning. Exactly one year ago this Sunday was the last Sunday that I was able to sit in the seats here. Uh, One year ago, we took the stage, you guys laid hands over us, prayed for us, and then sent us out to the South location. And so what a beautiful thing it is that I get to come back on on this one-year kind of reunion or anniversary of us going South. And so it's a true joy. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about my story as we dive into the scriptures this morning. About a year and a half ago, I was working with crew. I was also working at Doan University, the greatest university that Nebraska has to offer. Uh, I got booed at the nine, so that's better than nothing. Uh, so anyway, I'm working there. Uh, I, I'm, I just finished my master's degree in management, just bought a house, newly married, ready to leave a professional ministry and to go forward into the marketplace as that, as my main ministry. And, and then I go to have lunch with Austin Edwards. Uh, actually, it was breakfast. We're, we're eating breakfast. We're talking. I knew about the South Plant, and so the conversation comes up, and we're talking about things, and then he, he lays a total bomb on me, and he says, hey, actually, you're the guy that we're kind of thinking of asking to take the job as the high school director. And my whole world was shattered because I just prayed and and sought the Lord and I felt that the Lord was clearly moving me out of professional ministry and into the marketplace. Yet the Lord brought something before me to say, hey, I've got something better for you. And and if you take a step of faith, I I promise you I will be there with you. And and so Mariah, my wife and I are praying about uh, just this decision and, and we decide, we feel at peace that the Lord has clearly said, yes, go plant a church with the, the South location. It's going to be exciting uh, and, and fun. And, and, and so we said yes. And, and we leave behind the full-time salary. We leave behind the matching 401k. We leave behind um, just the fact that I didn't have to raise support anymore. The fact that uh, I would have a higher salary and we'd be able to pay off student debt easy. All of that we left behind, not knowing what was in store for us ahead. And then about a week or two later, Mariah and I start hearing back from all of these scholarships and grants that she'd been applying for, and Jesus showed up in a marvelous way, and he provided almost every single dollar that we needed to pay for her tuition. It was seriously one of the most beautiful affirmations that I've ever gotten from God, and I would never take it back. It was absolutely amazing. But friends, the reality of it is is that it has been hard over the last year that the reality is that it will take longer to pay off student debt, that I, that I do get to raise support now, that, that we have been having to commute more so from, from Crete to Lincoln, and it has taken a toll on our marriage at times. There have been times where it has been really, really difficult, but we know that our God is good regardless if the, he's paying for all of our tuition or, or whether I'm paying student debt for the rest of my life. I know that my God is good. So friends, here's the point. We don't take steps of faith expecting to get more blessings in tangible ways, but we take steps of faith expecting to get more of God himself. 
And as we continue to read through this text in Hebrews 11, we see that the people of God take steps of faith, whether they're seeing beautiful blessings come their way, or whether they're fighting battles, or or whether they're completely looking forward to, to Jesus bringing them something better. So let's read through Hebrews 11, verse 32, to see how these heroes fight. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. And what more can we say, City Light? What more can we say? We've been in this book for eight months and we've been chipping away at it, just trying to seek the fact that Jesus is better. And through this, we see judges. We see a list of people who who have gone and been raised up by God. And judges is a period of time just shortly after acquiring the promised land. So people are coming, they're taking over Israel, and, and they're saying, okay, let's fight through this together. And then they're leading them into sin. They're failing miserably, all the while while conquering kingdoms and doing really cool things. Yet some really bad things are also happening, and they're leading people away from their God, Yahweh. And so the book of Judges continues to be this vicious cycle that just repeats itself over and over and over again. But Judges teaches us that there is consequences for sin. But it also teaches us that God doesn't give up on his people regardless of their sin. So let's take a quick look at these stories of the six judges that are named in this scripture. Uh, The first up is Gideon. Gideon uh, is considered to be a man of valor, though he himself considers himself weak because he's the youngest in his family. But God sends the angel of the Lord to him, speaks to him and says, Gideon, go to battle and win and defeat my enemies and I will do it for you. So Gideon gathers 32,000 men to go to battle to win the, the war that's going on between the Israelites and God's enemies, and God tells him, no, you've got too many people on your side. All you need is me. And so Gideon gets rid of, of 10,000, and then it's brought down to 22,000, and then God again intervenes and says, no, you still have too many. It's just going to be me. So all the way down to where Gideon only has 300 men in his army ready to go to battle versus an army that's described as numerous as the number of grains of sand on the beach. What a feat that they had before them. But they go and they trust God and, they, and God wins the battle for them. And then there's Barak, who who, uh, is actually at the side of Deborah, who's actually the judge during this period of time. And they go, and they take 10,000 men, and then they go defeat God's enemy, and God blesses them with the win in that battle. Then there's Samson, and honestly, when you read this whole chapter, you're kind of like, why is Samson in here? 
uh, dude was kind of a bad cookie. You're wondering, he's not really a great hero. But anyway, uh, Samson is strong enough to be able to rip a lion in half with his bare hands. Samson then gets together with a prostitute. He gets his eyes gouged out. He loses his strength and gets taken away and is then imprisoned by the Philistines. And in his last dying wish, he's pleading to God and he's grabbing two pillars. And he says, God, would you grant me the strength to take this building down? And he does, and God defeats the Philistines that way while Samson loses his life. Then there's Jephthah, who's actually the son of a prostitute and shamed away from his hometown. But then when they go to battle, they go get Jephthah and they say, come, we need you. And so Jephthah pleads to the Lord and he says, God, if you win this battle for me, I will sacrifice the first thing that walks through my door. And the first thing that walks through his door when he gets home after winning is his own daughter, his only daughter. And then David, who takes out Goliath, who conquers kingdoms, but then takes a wife who isn't his, and then murders her husband. And then there's Samuel, who's actually the bridge between the period of the judges and the period of the kings. Samuel anoints Saul, but also anoints David. Now, taking just a quick snapshot look at the lives of all of these men, we can see that there's a constant thread that God is the one that's winning the battles. It's nothing by their own doing that these men are sinful and do fail. God stirred up an affection for him in their hearts, whether it was the beginning of their life or whether it was their last dying wish. Verse 33 tells us that these men, uh, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They, uh, they obtained the promises, and there's much more. And, and actually, all of these things that it's describing is not just the stories of these men. We can see that uh, stopping the mouth of the lion actually refers to Daniel, that uh, quenching the power of fire is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that escaping the sword was actually Elijah, and all of these things keep going, but none of them have done any of this by their own doing. It is all the God, the creator of the universe that they worship who is winning these battles for them. Friends, there's probably some stories in your own life that as you start to think and as you start to remember some amazing things that God has clearly done and you're just standing there and going, I don't know how that happened. I know that there's plenty of stories like that in my own life. But we see that these men are all receiving blessings even though they're completely undeserving. Samson and David, both sexually immoral. God blesses his people even though they're completely undeserving, friends. God uses the people who struggle with anger. God uses the man who's addicted to pornography. God uses the woman who can't put down the bottle. God uses the man who's always yelling and verbally abusing his children. God uses all of these people for his perfect promises. And that's not to make light of our sin. It's to point out how good God is and how big and how powerful he is. We are truly made strong out of our weakness, friends. I can remember my first year of college ministry. I'm excited. I'm a baby Christian. I'm ready to run, but I have no idea how to share the gospel. All I know is I got my little booklet with like 10 pages that I just run through with someone, and then maybe they say yes to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
And so I'm texting students with my little contact cards that I have, and and there's a girl who wants to have a conversation, and she shows up at at the coffee shop that I'm sitting at on Doan's campus, and we start to talk. We have a conversation about her life, and it gets to the point to where we're going to start talking about Jesus. I ask her about her spiritual background, and then I start to pad my pockets, and I remember, oh, I don't have my little booklet. (laughs) I'm done. Oh, no. And, and so I'm like, okay, Alex, think quick. Oh, I, oh yeah, Jesus. G- Jesus. Oh, what? Uh, uh, oh, there's an app. And, and so I download the app. So I get my phone out, and I'm like, hey, you should download this really, really cool app. And so she downloads the app, and I've got my phone kind of flipped backwards towards her while she has her phone. I don't know why I did it that way, but I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with this girl through this app. Can't even read Jesus's name upside down. And, and, and we're, we're getting to the point and, and I'm like, man, there, there's no way that she's going to say yes to Jesus at the end of this. This is all going in the back of my mind. I'm like, I just butchered the gospel. There, there's no way. And, and we get there and I said, do you want to, do you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you want to believe that he's your Lord and Savior? And she looks up and she smiles and she says, yes. Praise God, friends, because it was nothing of my own doing. It wasn't any sharp way that I said something about Jesus. It was nothing but the Spirit of God clearly moving in this girl's heart to say and to know that she is a sinner in need of saving. And God saved that girl, and she now helps lead the campus ministry on Doan's campus. How beautiful. Praise God for him moving faithfully. Friends, God uses imperfect people for his perfect purposes, and we see that over and over and over again. The book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Every beautiful work that you do from the moment that you say yes to Jesus is not your own doing, but it's just the Spirit of God doing an amazing work in you. He has transformed you. Your old life is now dead and you are now created new. And it is by the grace of God that he gives you amazing, beautiful blessings. But what about the times when it's hard? What about the times when when you've got your Bible and you're reading and you're studying and you're diving in deep and you're asking God, would you just please show up? Would, would you just do an amazing work in this person's life? God, I don't understand why that tragic thing is going on right now. I need you. And it just feels so empty. Friends, by faith, we do go through trials. That is a fact. By faith, we go through some difficult things. So let's keep reading. Verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Friends, 
faith doesn't always bring tangible blessings for us to see and us to hold. Faith does bring some difficult trials and some hard things to walk through. I almost wonder if this letter, if this part of the letter that he's writing to the Hebrews is an encouragement. That he's saying, hey, I know some of you are dealing with some difficult things right now. I know some of you might be being persecuted, that some of you might have friends in jail, or that some of you might have lost someone, or you might die tomorrow. I wonder if it's just an encouragement to them to say, hey, you haven't done this alone. Remember what your brothers and sisters have gone through for the name of God, for his glory. And that might be some of you today. Some of you might be walking through something extremely difficult this morning. Some of you might be having a really bad week or fighting a battle with depression in the middle of all of this. Friends, there is no guarantee that faith in Jesus Christ will provide easy, comfortable solutions or what we consider success. Faith in God sometimes will be very difficult. But faith does always bring us to something better. Man, faith in God continues to just inspire us to to continue to take steps in faith. But the blessings that we get out of those sometimes, they're not the point. God is. John Piper says this. He says, God himself is better than what life can give, and he's better than what life can take away. Read the beginning of this section again. It says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. This makes me think of in Philippians when Paul writes and he says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul is saying, All I want is more of Jesus. All I want is more of him to proclaim his name, to see him, to watch him move in lives of people. That's what he's saying. Friends, I want faith like that, to want nothing more but Jesus Christ. And I hope that you do too. Faith that believes that Jesus is actually better Faith that trusts that God is faithful in our blessings and even in our trials. Looking back on on just this chapter of Hebrews, I, I begin to think, man, how did they do it? Abraham literally left everything, not knowing if he was even going to have food tomorrow. Noah continued to, to plug away at building this giant ark, and people continued to mock him. Sarah had a baby at age 90. Moses goes up to big bad Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And then he stretches out his arm over the Red Sea, just completely believing that God is going to split it so they can walk through it. All of these people did amazing things. Rahab welcomes in spies, knowing that she might be murdered for it. David continues to fight for God and his kingdom, even though Saul continues to persecute him. Gideon goes to battle with 300 men. All of these people did amazing things through their faith. But all of them also went through some really hard trials. And the author writes to us and he says, Of whom the world was not worthy. I began to start to think of of the people in my life who I'm not worthy of, who the world isn't worthy of. I think of Mo and Austin, who, who spent countless months 
praying and, and laboring for, for this church, for the gospel to go forward in Lincoln, Nebraska, who spent hours away from their family just so people would know the name of Jesus Christ. And now I get to be a part of that. I begin to think of a guy whose name is Travis, who first discipled me and corrected me on all of my false theology about God. I begin to think of Bob Walls, who who graciously uh, just shares the gospel with college students. And one of those college students actually happened to be Gavin Johnson, who helped pioneer the City Light family of churches. I think of my mom, who sacrificed so much with multiple jobs for her two sons. I think of all of the leaders that I get to work with for City Light High and how they spend countless hours just with high school students so that they might know Jesus. I think of all the leaders that are downstairs sharing the gospel with all of the children down there so that they might know him. The world is not worthy of all of those people, and I am so thankful for all of them. But even more so, the world isn't worthy of Jesus Christ. The world is not worthy of the Son of Man who came to serve, the Son of Man who came and died, the Son of Man who took the nails in his hands and feet and died and was buried. But he rose again. And because of him, we could have life with him. We can know him and we can be with him for the rest of time. The world is not worthy of Jesus, yet with his grace, we still get something better. And our faith in God will lead to something better one day. Let's keep reading. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And what continues to be a a negative thread just keeps going, right? That though they were commended through their faith, they didn't receive what was promised. Friends, if you look at verse 33, it says that they obtained promises. So how does this make sense? Well, uh, I've already said it, but I'll say it again. God gives us more than we deserve. And sometimes he blesses us so much that it, it just doesn't make any sense at all. But the promise that they're speaking of here in this paragraph is not the same promise that they were speaking of before. This promise was of the Messiah to come. Someone better than every blessing or every trial that these people could see or go through. The Messiah that would defeat the serpent all the way back from Genesis 3. That God would send his son to pay for their sins and give them eternal life with him. They truly lived out of faith. They, they didn't see Jesus. They didn't get to the point to where they could tangibly see him perform miracles and die for them and then raise. Friends, so how much easier should it be for us to believe that Jesus is better? Because we have this special revelation, this Bible given to us that tells of countless stories of God and what he's done for us and his son who came to die for us. How much easier should it be for us? So what, City Light? We've been in Hebrews ow, for eight months now. Uh, yep. Uh, I don't know. I must have said something wrong. Or I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. Anyway. Um, so what? <laughs> um, 
So what? We've been plugging away at Hebrews for eight months, and then we did a cool little mini-series to wrap it all up. What does this mean for all of us, right? What, what does this mean on a day-to-day level for each and every single one of us? Well, friends, I think it's to look at the greater theme of Hebrews and to know that Jesus is better, right? Right? Austin said it so beautifully a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is better than Adam who took the fruit. Jesus is better than Abraham who left home and was the father of many. He's better than David who conquered kingdoms. He's better than Paul who planted churches. He's better than Mo, Austin, and Ricky who preach every week. He's better than your son or your daughter. He's better than your husband or wife. He's better than anything you could ever ask for or ever imagine. Jesus is better, friends. And by grace, we get him. By grace, we can know him. The something better that we get is him. It's not something tangible that we can have on this earth. And because of that, friends, Hebrews is calling you to have faith and to act on your faith. Friends, it's not faith if you keep doing the same thing over and over again right? If you try to do pull-ups and you do 10 pull-ups every single day for the rest of your life, it just simply becomes easy. If you're trying to jump across some gap and the first time you do it, you don't know if you're going to make it, but you have faith that you will, then you do it and you keep doing the same exact thing over and over. It just becomes discipline and routine, not faith. Faith is not stagnant. Faith continues to move forward and to point us to Jesus Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, so by faith, you keep inviting that friend to church. But what if you actually shared the gospel with them yourself? By faith, you keep confessing your sin. But what if you actually repented and put some accountability in your life so that you would actually stop By faith, you keep bringing your kids on Sunday morning or or Wednesday nights, but what if you actually discipled them and and loved them and, and prayed with them and then asked them for forgiveness? And what if you keep plugging away and again, you just don't see anything, you don't feel God is with you, you feel like he's completely far away? That's okay. You see, friends, we tend to fix our eyes on success and and results more so than we fix our eyes on faithfulness in God himself. About um, a month ago, we put on a worship night for the high school students. Uh, So it was both locations coming together to worship King Jesus. Uh, The dream was to to sing songs, to gather, to eat, to intermingle between each other, to pray for the nations. And, And when that night came, my students walked in the door and didn't mingle with Ben's students. When that night came, kids were waving around their phones with their little flashlight while we're worshiping Jesus in song. When that night came, kids are praying and and some are laughing. And and I walked away from that night being completely just torn apart. I was devastated. I was angry. I was frustrated. And and as I debriefed with Ben the very next day, I continue to tell him all of this. And I say, man, last night wasn't even worth it, dude. We We should never do that again. And do you know what he did to me? 
he rebuked me. He, he sat there and he continued to tell me of stories of, of how kids who had never been in the sanctuary before walked into the sanctuary for the first time. Kids who'd never heard worship music before listened to songs that praised King Jesus. Kids who had never prayed before were praying. And, and that some of his kids actually went to Applebee's with some of my kids afterward. And, and even at the end of that, he said, Alex, even if none of that stuff happened, it doesn't matter because we were still faithful to God and we still worshiped and sang to his name. And that's why he's planting a church. <laughs> Friends, that's what faith is. It, it's knowing that even when it doesn't work out or, or knowing uh, or, or seeing that it went as it was planned, that you're still faithful to God regardless. Right? John Piper said it. God is better than what life can give and what life can take away. Jesus is better than the sword that strikes or the sword that misses. Jesus is better. So let's step out in faith. What does that look like for you? Maybe, maybe for you in the room, you've never actually said yes to Jesus. Maybe this is your first Sunday in a church in years or ever. Maybe you've been coming for a while and listening to sermons through the series of Hebrews and you're hearing about Jesus and you're hearing all this worship music or maybe you've actually started to read your Bible for the first time. Friends, I'm pleading with you. God is clearly doing a work in your life and he's calling you to something better and that something better is him. And he wants you. So if that's you, would you say yes to him? And maybe for you, it, it's going over to your neighbor's house and knocking on the door and asking them over for dinner. Maybe for you, it's taking the courage to leave your home, to go into someone else's house who you don't know, to be part of a city group with people you don't know, and to confess sin and just to do life and eat and just sing to Jesus. Maybe for you, it's to actually put away that addiction and fight for everything that Jesus is calling to. Maybe for you, it's actually to disciple your children or to break up with that boyfriend or girlfriend because they're not actually pursuing Jesus. Or maybe for you, it's actually going with the North Plant to reach a different part of town with the gospel. Maybe God is calling you to give the first fruits of your paycheck to the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling you to actually have faith in him not because you need to do some great work so that you will be commended, but because Jesus has something better for you. Jesus is calling you to know that he is better and to have faith in him because he can do amazing, great works, but that he is the something better. And by faith, we can know that Jesus is better. In a few seconds, um, the band is going to come back up. We're going to take of the family meal together. You're going to take the bread, a symbol for his body broken for you. Dip it into the juice, a symbol for his blood shed for you. And, and I just want to challenge you that as you remember Jesus, maybe take it back to your seat, eat it, and pray. And, and, and ask the Father, ask him, Lord, I, I don't know what you have in my life right now, or what I'm not giving up to you, but where in my life am I not actually believing that you are better? 
God, what area of my life do I actually need to take a step of faith in because of you? Because you are better. Friends, Jesus is better forever. Remember that. So let's pray. Let's sing songs to Jesus and let's eat.